your podcast, Signal Rank Squad. Welcome back. It's your audio companion to defence and attack. Your transfer hype to tell you who'll stay and who'll go. The only pod you need to keep you in the know. See, where the underdogs coming for that top spot like Sweden. Call this studio the Bernabeu, football's new Garden of Eden. New school to old school like Joaquin and Vicente. And we're crossing divides and cities. Call us Marcus Lorente. Short one today. My name's Jack Collins and I'll be your host. But let me introduce the rest of this rank squad. So, simmering and scheming in this sizzling, sometimes suffering summer of soccer. From Sadio Senegal to Switzerland semi to the Seattle Sounders. Sam's seen it somehow. Sliding into your sound bites like a smooth speaking suitor. It's the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Introduced before Dean. Have mm. the fortunes shifted? Have they changed indeed? Well, peering through the peepholes for potential pointers on players poking pleas above the the parapet, perennially pleasing punters with perceptions on possible penny-pinching proceedings and plausible premium payouts on prime professionals. It's our very own transfer insider, pleasure Mr. Dean Jones. to be here. It is always a pleasure. Dean, Sam might have got the introduction first, but it's you to start us off with hot takes. Sweet. I am going to get stuck into VAR because it's sucking the joy out of Football Jack. I've actually tried to stick by VAR through its early phases and anyone who was so, like... All the old people, which people older than me that are up, they are out there somewhere, nah. were saying to me, oh, it's going to kill football, just moaning all the time. I was like, no, there are actually concepts of this that are a really good idea. I think it's going to be beneficial to the game. But I'm really struggling to defend it at the moment because it is seriously sucking the life out of football. Um, I thought it would mean less time, like analysing big decisions that was wrong because it's going on for literally days now Um, I thought that it would end the the days when we would have controversial decisions with still uncertainty over whether certain things should have happened or not that hasn't happened whether you're watching the Nations League Copa America Women's World Cup at the moment there are still bad decisions being made and actually VAR is causing more headlines than the old controversial decisions were in the days before VAR Is this something just that you know, we're getting used to a new system. The rules potentially need changing, Sam, in that there are rules which used to be, you know, about that don't make sense in an age of VAR, the, the kind of the handball rule. I know that's being changed and, and there are different things that need to be edited in order for VAR to make sense. Yeah, I don't really still don't have that much of an issue with VAR. I mostly have issue with the rules and how basically no one knows the rules, not even the refs. Apparently, some of the rules have just been made up as we're going along. <laughs> Um, epitomised by the fact that we've literally changed the rules halfway through a Women's World Cup, which is completely unfair. It's not what, not what you're supposed to do halfway through a tournament. Um, look, back in the World Cup, the Men's World Cup last summer, I don't think VAR was that much of an issue. I think it, it largely went by quite smoothly. So the application of VAR has been quite inconsistent. Um, there's probably an argument that we're still getting used to it. There's probably an argument that tournament by tournament, it will differ. The Premier League are making all the right noises ahead of next summer. uh, Next season, they're saying that we've trained vociferously in it. We've got VAR trainers in, that sort of thing. Um, But mostly, the rules are crap. The rules have been made up as they've gone along. Some of the rules we have, like the offside rule, clearly, by the letter... They were not built to be analysed forensically, yeah. yard by yard. Like when you get a freeze frame on like a horse race to see who wins by a nose. That's what we're looking at right now in terms of offside. Someone's elbow is yeah. off, so it's off. That's not really offside how it's supposed to work. killing me at the moment. It's like offside was introduced to stop people from goal hanging. It mm. wasn't introduced so that we could dissect whether a forward's... Uh, toe was ahead of the defender's yeah. bum or whatever. Like, has, a big, has a bigger shoe it's than ridiculous. another player. Like that, that is, is there, not what it's about. Is and there that, something in changing the rule then to be clear daylight? Like, you know, uh, 
clear kind of that's what we Inception. had before, though, wasn't it? So we're just going back to where we all started. In the well, not necessarily, but then, but then you questions. can check that with it. There are decisions that have been made, mad offside decisions that have been missed in the past, right? VAR fixes them, but if it's being changed on who has an elbow in front of another, that's where it's going wrong. Honestly, right? I, th- I think you'd be just as well off having more officials around the pitch if you want to get things like that right. Just have, have assistants on both flanks, on both, up both ends of the pitch. They can track that just as well. I, I firmly believe that. I also feel that like it's become such a big deal now in football, this need for justice to get every decision right, to make sure that nobody's hard done by, that it's actually turned the game on its head. And all the things that we loved about the game, celebrating the big moments, taking in those big moments, are gone and we can't even like celebrate goals completely anymore because there's always a chance that it's not going to count. And there are things like the Cameroon women the other day when... They were fuming, and don't get me wrong, their behaviour wasn't right that day. But the goal that they had ruled out, I was kind of on their side with that. I was like, that is harsh. Like, the way that this is being implemented is just going too far now. Um, It does feel a little bit like it's a traffic warden walking around a football pitch just ruining everyone's day. And and that's what VAR feels like to me at the moment. I don't want it to be that. I want it to enhance the game. I want the Premier League to become even better next season. But right now... I've not got much faith in especially the early weeks of the Premier League season because no matter how well trained they've been, there's no way they are prepared for it on a match day. Well, look, this this week has been the anniversary of Maradona's famous hand of God goal. You were behind the goal when that went in. Um, (laughs) We all said at the time, that is handball. (laughs) (laughs) VAR would fix that. You know, the one that stands out for me is Thierry Henry's handball against Ireland in in the World Cup playoff. And the injustice felt from that. And, and I imagine if you ask a Spurs fan about the goal that Man City had chalked out, then that would be, then they, their experiences of it would be positive. So, I mean, surely it all depends on what side of the fence you fall as opposed to this is a bad thing. But do you not feel like luck has always been quite an enjoyable part of, of watching football? Like whether you get luck on the day, that's, that's part of the fun of football. I still think you get luck on the day. I don't, it's not necessarily getting, deci- luck is They're taking luck getting... out of the game. That's going to be gone. Like if this is the early stages of VAR right now in five years time there isn't going to be any luck attached to the game now there's still discretionary stuff it still comes down to a human's judgment like you know there's still going to be oh he could have he could have gone off for that because whether one referee looks at it or five referees look at it there's still going to be someone has to make a decision yeah someone's right? got to make a call it's, yeah. it's a human call but there's call. bad tackles that are still going unpunished there's people spitting at people and getting away with it yet you can't score a goal where your toe is a bit further I just think that there are so many discrepancies and I'm not sure how far well, one, whether we're judging the right things that really matter, and two, how far this we're going to end up having to take this. Like, goal line technology, spot on. I'm all for it. It's enhanced the game. There's no problem with it. This is just all so patchy, and there's, there's so many grey areas. I just think that it's going to rumble on for a few more years. I'll just bring it, I'll just bring it back to, I think that the chief problem is the rules, and they need to really seriously nail down what the rules are, specifically with offsides as well, and, and get some consistency with regard to the offside rule, and then enforce those properly. And also, let everyone know what the rules yeah. are, because yeah. no one knows what the rules are. There are people out there who genuinely think that um, if you score with your head, and your head was offside then it's offside. But if your head's offside, but you score with your left foot, it's cool. There are some people that don't think that's the case. Some people think you have to be completely offside. Some people think they have to be... There are loads of people that have been watching different football for 10, 15, 20 years who all think the rules are different. I want to move on from VAR, and I will come on to your hot take in just a second. But just a, a kind of side note on this is the Women's World Cup has been sort of used as this sort of guinea pig experiment, which seems 
extremely kind of disrespectful given that this is a World Cup. It's mm-hmm. the very pinnacle of the women's game. How has this been allowed to be used as this sort of weird VAR experiment? The worst part of it as well is that like none of the women involved, as far as I know, have ever been involved in any match where there was any sort of VAR included in it. So like this is brand new to literally everybody involved in this tournament. And it's just ridiculous. They shouldn't... It's so. It's gone so far beyond what it should have been. The only thing I did like about it was the fact that goalkeepers weren't allowed off their line. I am all for that, always have been, because goalkeepers always cheat by coming off their line. They shouldn't be allowed to get over that. And they started implementing that properly, and now they're going to take it away. It's the only thing I agreed with. Well, um, it felt extremely harsh in that people's natural body movement... I agree with you to an extent, except if someone's three metres in front of the goal yeah, line. That's one decade, thing. basically. Exactly. But, you know, Edwin van der Sar, I remember, used to jump off his line and he used to be he really did. far in front yeah. of the goal line. But there are other times where they have like one foot a centimetre in front of the goal line and they're ordering know, retakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does does seem extreme. Right, Sam, let's move on to your, your hot take. What's you, what have you got for us this week? Okay. Uh, of the seven dwarves, I've long identified most closely with this Sleepy non, this isn't than any other. Sorry. Oh, is this the... <laughs> no, this is it. I've, I've long identified most closely with the sleep, Sleepy of the seven dwarves. However, given the nature of my hot takes over the last couple of weeks and the one I'm about to deliver, maybe I need to realign and rebrand as Grumpy. Yeah. Harry Maguire for £80 million. Most expensive defender in history. What world are we in? Like, what is going on? Come on. I mean, I sit here every week now and just moan about potential transfers, but like... This this kind of angers me a little bit because I appreciate he ticks some boxes. He's a centre-back. He's English. He's an international. And he is a good player. Yeah. Man City and Man United are both reportedly in for him for approximately 80 million quid, or maybe that's what it will take to get him out of Leicester. I just really don't think if you're in that conversation with Leicester and they come up with, sorry, it's 80 million or no, I don't think the answer then is going, all right, cool, we'll pay it. You go, no, I'll go and find somebody else. And I've done that. I've gone and found a load of other players who could surely be available for at the same price, more or less, or cheaper, who are all better than Harry Maguire and are all technically suited to play for someone like Guardiola. Koulibaly, Alderweireld, Marquinhos, Skriniar, Umtiti, Delict, Sula, Rugani and Romagnoli. That's nine. And then if you wanted sort of a more of a developmental project for about half the price, but would still be very good, Jonathan Tarr, Mario Hermoso, Akanji, Milenkovic, Konate from Leipzig, and Jesus Vallejo from Real Madrid. There's another six. So right? 15 so names. It wasn't particularly out. difficult for me to come up with 15 names. Right? Now, again, I appreciate one of the driving forces here it may just be that Harry Maguire is English. What, home, and, homegrown kind yeah, of thing. And that Man City and Man United, less so Man United, Man City do have a slight homegrown issue. Although if they are targeting a defender to replace company, remember that company is not homegrown. So they don't have to find an English player to replace Vincent Company. They had Delph, Foden, Stone, Sterling and a reserve goalkeeper in their Champions League last season. That's five. That's not a crisis. And if they really, really do want to solve this homegrown problem, go and buy Ben Chilwell from the same club right? Or rebuy Angelino from PSV, who they have a buyback on, who's technically homegrown because he spent enough years in City's academy. There are better ways of doing this. And I really really just don't understand. Last year, Maguire nearly went to United and Jose Mourinho got the hump because someone above him told him he couldn't do it. Mourinho got really annoyed because he said that person doesn't have the qualifications to tell him who he can't get. Whoever did that is right. And Jose is wrong. Okay. And we fast forward one more year 
Maguire is £10 million more expensive, no more worthy of this fee. Like, he's going to make Lucas Hernandez look cheap. Yeah, and that's, and that's saying it's something. Ridiculous. Let's see, in, in an article you wrote this week in your transfer, you said that City were not looking to outlay that kind of money on a centre-back in relation to Kaladu Koulibaly. Is this different? Obviously, the homegrown thing comes into play. Is there genuine kind of interest and, and desire from City's end to make this Yeah, happen? there's 100% interest, and there's something they've been looking into for, for a while, but City's point on this has always been like we're in the market for a top center back but they do not want to be dragged into a bidding war for any of these players and they certainly don't want to be paying those kind of figures even Koulibaly they didn't want to go to kind of 80 million pounds same with Harry Maguire they don't really want to pay from what I'm told any more than 60 million pounds for Harry Maguire even that seems like a lot it seems like a lot but Leicester Leicester are literally not willing to talk to them at that kind of figure because Leicester are in a fantastic position at the moment. Some of the players that they've got there, um, you know, Chilwell himself and Madison in midfield, they're three players that pretty much all of the top six have had an eye on. And they know that if Man City don't buy and Man United will try, if they don't try, then Tottenham will try. If they don't try, Tottenham, uh, Chelsea will probably try next year. So it's just ongoing. And Leicester, if Maguire goes nowhere, he'll get a new contract at Leicester City at the end of this summer. He'll sign it and he'll still have this next summer. He's probably going to be worth 90, 90 million pounds. He's going up 10 million country. every summer. So 100% yeah. because they're just going to keep giving him new contracts to, to maintain his value yep. until everyone realises, yeah, we could probably go and sign someone else apart from Harry Maguire. I just, yeah, just look, if you're going to spend 80 million pounds on a player, he needs, to, he needs to improve your first team. And I would argue that he doesn't improve City's first team. He's not better than Laporte. And I think Stones is better than Maguire. Just. Um, better than and, I, and I also think... Um, Probably, yeah. I mean, I think they're in the same range. Touch and go, yeah. yeah, same range. And you know, if if City got a bid of thirty million for Otamendi this summer, I'd be like, oh, they might take that. That's that's, that's the sort of level we're at. Yeah. If he's as good as Otamendi, then take half off the price. This is the concern. Let me appeal to your English side for a second. Would it not be a delight for you to watch Harry Maguire and John Stones underneath Pep Guardiola becoming the core of England's defence for years to come? I mean, look, uh, I've long been of the of the opinion that if you can. Get as many English players to play for Guardiola and Pochettino, and they are—they are single-handed, not not single-handedly. They are both shaping England's national team in a way that no one has in a long time. But from a City perspective, with a Man City hat on, ridiculous idea. Okay, all right. Let's go on to the third hot take, which came from the poll. Uh, you got the choice as ever, and this week we asked you which Copper America superstar, frozen out of their club, we should discuss. Just like Oli Gunasolskjaer, you had absolutely no interest in Alexis Sanchez. So it is the capricious <laughs> Colombian that's being discussed today, James Rodriguez. Two wonderful assists in two starts at the Copper as Los Cafeteros sailed through Group B with a 100% record ahead of Leo Messi's Argentina. There are strong rumours that the boy James is going to reunite for a third time with Carlo Ancelotti now at Napoli with two stints under the manager already under his belt at Real Madrid and Bayern at Munich. A lot of feeling that he had many of his best days under the Italian. Sam, does that one make sense? Uh, there aren't many options for James, <laughs> right? So Napoli and the, re- the reunification of, of James and Ancelotti is something that he should probably jump at. I've, I've gone through and looked at all of the, basically the top teams in, the, in Europe's top five leagues, because let's face it, James isn't going to a team who don't at least play Europa League football. Like he's, he's, definitely, he's definitely a Champions League quality player. Yep. And basically I've come up with Napoli... Milan at a massive stretch and Spurs, if they lose Ericsson and they're willing to 
move away from their usual style of transfer. What about Atleti if they don't sign Joao Felix? Yeah, if they don't sign Joao Felix. But obviously, as as we record, the, the rumours are pretty... Strong. Pretty heavy that this there lad, he here, this he lad here is going to go to Atletico. <laughs> as if I had that ready. Um, Why have you brought a cutout of Joao Felix? <laughs> I've been talking about him since January on this podcast. I might as well just have him with me. We're going to stitch him on. Yeah. Go on. Um, yeah, the, the, the options are very limited. And Napoli of those three, I think, uh, as in Tottenham, Napoli, Milan, I think that feels like the most sensible. I think for him, he's in need of a bit of rehab in terms of his career. And, and someone like Carlo has obviously got the best out of him at two different teams. The rest of them either don't need him, can't afford him, or are trying to sell him already. So, look, it's, it's, it's mad that we're in a situation where a player of James's quality and reputation really doesn't have that many places to go, but it, it sort of ties in with what Dean was saying last week. He's stuck, kind of, because of the wages and, and, and the financial outlay it takes to sign a player like this. Does he have legs, Dean, this Napoli rumour? He has, Does he legs. have legs. He has, no, he I has, know that James has legs. Nice Does legs. this rumour have legs? particularly fantastic legs. Nice legs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dino. Um, <laughs> Does this rumour have legs? It does have legs, Jack. But originally, what Napoli set out to do was they wanted Herving Lozano. So that was the person they thought could add a spark to their team for next season. What happened then was Lozano picked up an injury at the end of the season. Um, They weren't sure how bad it was, but it was worse than they first expected. He's missed the Gold Cup, which was bad news for him. Bad news for Napoli as well, because it meant they couldn't really invest in a player they weren't sure was going to be ready for the season, what kind of condition his knee would be in. So they then started to look at other options, and James Rodriguez was always kind of there. They knew that he would his future was uncertain at Madrid or Bayern Munich, and now they've kind of pounced and it's there to be taken, basically. Um, negotiations are open. Napoli are quite publicly stating that they're in for him and they're going to try and get the deal done. What if it falls through, they'll turn back to Lozano and see how his knee is. But right now, they're, they're pushing ahead. What sort of fee are we talking for? I don't know. Like they've, It's all been quite muted around that. A loan, wasn't it? was originally the, the kind of first... It, it did sound like that from the first kind of thoughts were given on the, on the interwebs. Poor guy. Yeah, he's, he's a bit stuck. Yeah. Interestingly, I think that... Unleashing Hammers as a 10 again is something that we haven't seen very much of. And, and obviously, Ancelotti came away from Sarri's 4-3-3, you know, quite convincingly in those early doors. But he did play with two up top for a fair bit. But you'd imagine this would allow him to play a kind of 4-4-1-1 or a 4-2-3-1, which would, I, I suppose, the, the kind of thing at Bayern is that Kovac has been playing Hammers as an 8 which doesn't allow him to really roam and, and kind of get into the creative positions that leave him in his best spots and have led to his best things. And, and putting him back on Ancelotti, who kind of gets that, would hopefully reunite, reignite his career under the same way that we've seen for Colombia. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be that this is Ancelotti's big push. Like, he's the one that wants him in there. He's saying he will fit into our style. Trust me, like, we will be the ones that get the best out of him. And absolutely, it makes sense because we've all seen the way that Ancelotti's teams play. Hammers is a player that you need to... you. He's, he, you, it requires that you build around him. So like, he's the kind of playmaker uh, uh, comparison, not quite, but kind of like Ozil, where you need to shape things around him and like make him the main man and put everything through him and allow his magic to come through regularly. He's not someone that you can just kind of fit in yeah. somewhere as part of a system and, and expect him to be particularly good. He needs to be the man. So Ancelotti figures that out early on at Real Madrid. He figures it out again at Bayern. He, he's, he's the one that has actually worked out how to use Hammers. It's not actually rocket science. It's just that a lot of managers aren't willing to give a player 
that Creative much freedom, freedom yeah. and build something around him as a, like in terms of a safety net nowadays. That's why Ozil's been sidelined. That's why Hamas isn't thriving elsewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, with the kind of, I don't know if Alan is going to be there at Napoli at the end of this summer, but with him and Zielinski and Fabian Ruiz all there able to play that kind of deeper role in midfield, you would imagine that Hamas will get that freedom should he take his trade to Naples. Yes, the kind of platform that he needs, yeah. Absolutely. Right, after the break, we're going to be having ourselves a bit of an auction. If we were giving out five-year contracts, and this was a new era where there were no contracts already to break and people didn't belong to clubs, who would be the five most valuable players in the world? Give you a little bit to think about it. We'll be back. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Order, order. It's auction time. Let's say the rules then, shall we, Sam? What are the rules? Okay, so to refresh, I've ranked the five most valuable players in world football. If we were at an auction, every player was a free agent and you have to give every player a five-year deal. It's quite a long quite a long contract. Yeah, it's quite a long contract. So you've got to be pretty confident you're getting their best years, five, five or so years. Um, and it definitely rules out some of the older players because you wouldn't want to contract them until 39 or 40 years of age. So it's an interesting thing. And this format, like, it gave me the opportunity to be exceptionally picky. Like, there are like 50 or 60 amazing players that you would not hesitate to give a five-year contract. So when you're trying to narrow it down to five, you start picking at them and going, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. So the following players are not in this list. Ronaldo, because he'd be 39 by the end of the deal. He, he's in phenomenal shape, but I think there are better choices to, to, to be made. 39 here. is quite old, even for someone as physically incredible as Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, absolutely. Neymar, because I'm officially too worried about his ankles and his injury record. And his attitude. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Dean was. Um, Kane is the same. Um, repeat injuries on his ankle. Salah would be 32. And I know he's not all speed, but he has quite a lot of speed. So I'm not sure about that. And De Bruyne as well, the knees. The knees concern me too this year and being rushed back That's by fair. Pep Guardiola. And like when you are trying to narrow this down to five, like you can just use those as excuses to get rid of players. Like yeah. You're giving this guy a five-year contract. So first up, at, at number, number five... five uh, is and my initial thought when compiling this list was don't put defenders in like don't put defenders in because they don't make enough of a difference but I think Van Dijk probably does make enough of a difference I thought you were going to say Koulibaly yeah I thought you were going to say De Ligt. well I said Van Dijk <laughs> 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 um, he is actually just a one man wall in defence um, it does he does give you the impression when you play against him not that I have that you just you're just not going to score like, and he's such a valuable building block, as we've seen. He, he's kind of reinvented the wheel a little bit on how we perceive defenders, hence the Ballon d'Or chat, hence the fact that he's one of the most valuable players for me, or the fifth most. Um, and I also think that if push came to shove, he could just go up front. How old would he be at the end of this five-year deal? Um, I think he's 31. He's 27 now, so... 32. I think he's going to be fine. He's yeah. an absolute Rolls-Royce, isn't he? Just swans around at his own speed. I don't, I don't he think, is very quick, though. I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off there. Yeah, he's already ridiculously fast. So I think if he, if he loses like half a yard, he'll still be quicker than most, reading of the game most centre-backs. Like that, yeah. Yeah. And he, remember, he doesn't have to actually make that many defensive actions. Like He doesn't have to tackle or intercept that much because he's already seen the danger off before it's even arrived. Okay. So I think Van Dijk at five, um, and he's my only defender. We'll get more fun from here, I promise. Fair. Okay, go uh, on, then. let's keep going. In at number four is this man, for those not... For those not watching on YouTube and only listening, I'm holding up my cutout of Jao Felix again. 
This is twice Sam has got the cutout of Jao Felix into the show. Do you know, just for the record, I didn't actually make this cutout. When I arrived at the office today, it was already there. So there we are. So, fate, fate's yeah, nine. He I sent it. What am I supposed to do? Not use it? Yeah, right, talk it. to me. You're giving an untested 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a five-year deal, despite the fact he's only ever played in the Primera Liga and Europa League. twice for Portugal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good idea, right? Right. Go yeah. on, explain um, yourself. I think at, at 19 years of age, you say untested, yeah, only one season, but I think he's good enough to play for most of the top teams in Europe right now. So if at 19, you're ready to do that, then you're capturing from 19 to 24, you're capturing his best years, some of his best years. And if, like me, you think he can be gone to be one of the best players in the world, which I do, then this, to me, just seems like the most obvious thing to do is to put Felix in the top in the top five most valuable players because he's good enough already to make a huge impact for you. He's also that kind of player where if you do give him the keys to the attack, he'll just do what he likes. Free roam, left and right, score from distance, score in the box, create, turn, all these things that he does. He can be that talismanic presence in attack. And if you think he's good enough now and you think he's going to be unbelievable in three years, then at an auction... I'm bidding high for Joe Felix. Okay. All right. I, I think this is a bit risky if I was to, to critique it. Uh, I think that there is so much potential there. I think no one can really disagree with how much potential Joe Felix has and how high his ceiling is. Mm. But we haven't seen it at a level that it is yet to you know, fully manifest itself. Mm. And giving him a five-year deal if he was then to fall off and not reach that potential, is a massive risk. I think he'd be all right. The reason I think it's a good idea is because, so what's he says, release clause now is 120 million euros, right? Mm-hmm. Around something like that. So you sign him on this five-year deal. If he's already worth, if he's worth that right now, Benfica believe in his contract, then by signing him on a contract like this, you would have a similar clause. Atletico Madrid, when they sign him, are talking about having a clause worth 350 million euros in his contract. So what I'm trying to say is that you could have him on that kind of contract anyway, because even if it doesn't work out in the next couple of years, he's young enough that someone else will give you the money, believing that they're going to get the best out of him, that you were just using him wrong. Potentially. So I think, It's a nice fallback. I think Felix is a good game. Given the fact that Barcelona, when they sign their youth prospects into the first team, often just set their release clauses about 120 million just for the sake of having it there. No, totally. It, they do, yeah. yeah. I don't necessarily think that just because his release clause is high, it justifies that. I'm completely with you on how how good his position No, I think D- Dean is also using that as kind of like a barometer for like, okay. this, this is how you good You could get your money is. back on it, basically. You're just going to have to trust me, Jack. All righty, mate. Do I'm going to trust, trust you. Of course I do. Let's move this on to number three, then. Okay, on to number three, uh, I would choose Eden Hazard. And good player. In, in, doing, in doing this, in giving Hazard a five-year deal, I'm essentially doing exactly what Florentino Perez did earlier this month. If it's good enough for Florentino Perez, it's good enough for me. Yep. He runs Real Madrid after all. Um, this would see Hazard through to the age of 33. But given that I've already ruled out players like Neymar because of the battering they take and the fouls and the ankle injuries, Hazard has proven to be not only amazing, but remarkably durable. Yeah, like, injury resistant. He just doesn't miss that many games. He has been kicked at the same, right, same rate as Neymar has for the last eight years. And he's fine. Like, he's made of really sturdy stuff. So yeah, he'd push into the 30s. But I say, that doesn't really concern me because I think he's the kind of player who, because he's not built on top-end speed, he is more of a burst a burst guy, like in, in, in tight spaces. And because he's so heavily technique-based as well, yeah. 
I would just I would just be happy for him to run riot for my team. I think so. His low center of gravity as well isn't going to change. He's not going to suddenly change body shape or any of those things, which should allow him to thrive. Elements of Romario. Elements of Romario. I like my, it. I like uh, it. And look, look, Hazard is currently in this conversation for like third best player in the world. There are, lots of, there are lots of people that believe he is. I believe he's firmly in contention in there contesting with Neymar, given Neymar's, well, terrible time of it with injury. So that's how good he is. So I've got no issues with the quality perspective. I think he can stand the longevity test. He's my number three, coincidentally. Okay. Uh, I mean, Dean is there. I, I think that's pretty standard. I find it very difficult to argue with some of these. Although, given I'm going to assume that I know who your number two and one are, I, I think I can make it a decent guess of these. We're going to have some big conversations a little bit later on, some players that you've left out, uh, you know, in, in yeah. spite of some of the beats, your names you've put in. So, come on, let's crack yeah. on and we'll, uh, you we'll discuss that. Yeah, you're not out of the jail yet. Well, I don't want to now. <laughs> <laughs> what if I don't finish? Uh, and number two, not messy. Going against like, lo- like quite a lot of what I've said, but it's almost like a special ruling for a special talent, oh, is, is Lionel Messi. Yeah, you couldn't resist. So he's going to be 37 by the end of the deal because he just turned 32. Yeah. Happy birthday, Leo. Where's he going to be playing at, at 37? At this point, I presume he's New just chavvy. He's just chavvy at 37, isn't he? So he's messy now for the next few years and he just floats further and further back and he just becomes chavvy. As long as Messi wants to play, he will probably be the best player in the world. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there will be a, a handover period. I imagine there will be a point where he kneels and appoints the crown somewhere else. But I, I see what you're saying in that I think his technical kind of skill set manifests more in what he's able to do further back on a pitch. The only problem I would have is, you know, obviously retraining from being so explosive and, and coming off a wing and, and being mid- into a central central midfield role where you have to just give it up a little bit more. And I, I you know, I agree in that we will see him change and transition. But is that going to be as easy as I think we first thought it was going to be for him? I presume given the the quality of the passes and the angles that he sees, um, just his, his general vision when he creates, like it's not that far off some of the best playmakers we've ever seen that are famous solely for their playmaking. Yeah. Like you ask him not to finish quite so often and, and not get into the box quite so much. And you might, you might mistake him for Raquel May at times. Like he's, he has they that. Share a birthday. He has that. They do indeed. They, I mean, he has that kind of level to it. So if he's further away from goal and he's not scoring quite as much and he's not quite as important, near the box but he is dictating and he is encouraging quick sequences I could see, I could just see him playing that role later on to an elite level and like that's an amazing player to have we know from Barcelona's experiences post Xavi that that's a really hard thing to, to replicate yeah. and to he replicate. plays a lot of his game walking anyway so it, that hasn't really got to change apart from yeah, as you say it's, it is bursts of pace with Messi because he can just walk through a game because nobody Everyone sits off him a lot of the time because they're not sure what he's going to do and they know that he's just going to dribble past them. And all that's going to happen is once he does eventually draw people in, he'll move the ball to inner space that nobody can get near it. He'll drag two or three people out of positions. The ball will be gone. He sees things nobody else can and that's never going to change. He's going to have such sharp feet and such a sharp mind that that's just not going to change and that's probably why... Would you have to say, say Ronaldo was at the same age... Would you still have wanted Ronaldo on, on that contract if he was hitting 37? Cristiano. Would, yeah. 
Or I do you think, think so. Messi would 37, still... I yeah. think yeah. I would take Ronaldo. We, we, yeah, we're moving back into the realm where it's okay because, I mean, you only have to look at someone like Fabio Qualiarella who is, is in that area, 36, 36 37 yeah. uh, this season and smashing in the goals and, and, and keeping himself yeah. evergreen. But I just I just worry that that, that drop-off uh, for him up to 39, that is a little bit too far. 39 is a long in, way. In, in 2019 and, and moving into the next five years, like the athleticism involved in the game, that's just a couple years too far. Zlatan's 37 now. Yeah. And he's on MLS. Do you think Ronaldo will be at that same level then at 37? Or do you think Ronaldo will still be playing at a higher level than Zlatan at 37? It depends what he wants to do. Because like, I don't think Ronaldo's off to MLS. Like, but he's obviously going to get the chance to go there. Like, yeah, It's probably going to happen for him. He might do. I mean, the MLS continues to grow uh, yeah. and, and continues to develop as a league. And I think that three years time we might be looking at a completely different MLS landscape to what we're looking at yeah. right now so yeah, but isn't that, that landscape we're trying to move away from like potentially but you get a Cristiano Ronaldo or a, is a Leo Messi yeah, is, that, is very that's not calling it a retirement rating. league is it if you're getting Zlatan Rooney Ronaldo like that's not quite like not getting the same, like, is it? Frank Lampard no yeah, I think one thing to ask you, I guess, is that did you think that Messi would be making moves towards this role earlier on? Because I thought at this stage, 32, obviously a few days ago, he would already be kind of wallowing towards that centre midfield role. And he hasn't. He hasn't even moved in field. In fact, he's gone back to his original berth on the right and bedded in a little bit more yeah. than, than I thought he was going. To. So I did assume that Messi would make moves further towards central midfield at this point, And he hasn't. But... Hey, I'm, I'm fine. Anytime in the next five years. Yeah, can play whenever <laughs> he wants to. Whenever he wants. Right, that leaves number one. Well, Hit me with the name. No, you go for it since you've known everything. I would guess that this is the young prince, the heir to the throne in many regards, Kylian Mbappe. And you'd be correct. I thought so. Any objections? No, I've got, I've got many objections about many things, but not on this. Go on. Yeah. All right. Well, already one of the best uh, strikers in the world. Um, some would argue the best at age 20 now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably the safest bet I've ever made. You know, Mbappe to one day win the Ballon d'Or, Mbappe to be the best striker in the world. Strikers and attacking players obviously make the most difference when you think about, right, I can have one player, who do I want? Who can make the difference? Mbappe clearly is that guy. Um, His talent speaks for itself. I think his potential speaks for itself. And given his age, you know, 20 to 25 on this contract, it's just such an easy choice. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes perfect sense, this one. All the factors tick boxes absolutely, in terms of Mbappe. And he doesn't seem to be going anywhere soon at first. I remember people being like, who's this random kid? Is he going to burn out? And mm. he just hasn't. He has no continued to bang in goals, to be so important for club and country. He's just... And he just seems like so marketable as well. He's such a nice guy. He's cool. Everybody loves him. I've never met anyone who doesn't like Kylian Mbappe. Nobody's a bit of a showboater or he's got a bit of an ego. Like, nobody says any of these things about him. And at 20 years old, he's had the right to be both of those things. Yeah. But he just seems to have no interest. And even like right now, you see him going off on holiday. He's still doing really cool stuff and actually really nice stuff to help people. And I think that that kind of sums up his character. Everything that you hear about him since he's been at PSG has all been positive. Well, most of it's been positive. There's been a couple of things. But mainly, everyone there's got good things to say about him and when he does eventually leave probably next year to Real Madrid nobody's going to begrudge him and we all know he's going to be an absolute superstar there are some names here that, mm. that need to be answered needs to be addressed Dean go. I'm sure you've got some I've only got one start, what's your one go for it Raz Raheem Sterling Raheem Sterling was in this Raheem year. Sterling Raheem Sterling ahead of Jar Felix yeah, that's what I would, I would, that's I would, I would raise fair 
fair. I mean, I say at the, at the top, I said 50 or 60 players you'd happily give a five-year contract to. Um, I had to rule out some very good players. I ruled out some for injury concerns and age concerns, but Sterling was just one that I was like, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Just comes down to making Sterling at 24 at years old, going through to when he's 29. I think we're going to see some really, really special stuff from him, especially if he can stay with Guardiola. Wherever Guardiola goes from Man City, if it's possible, if mm. he does go to another club, just take Raheem Sterling with you. I hope that happens. Like the the big one for me was the man I christened as the next multiple Ballon d'Or winner, Bernardo Silva, who is in all these categories. And and I think the the fact for me is that. He's basically Charles Felix four years on mm. and with similar ceiling, similar potential and still many, many years in the tank, multiple positions. He would have been someone that I would have shooed into the top five. Yeah, I don't know if I just might like my favouritism got the better of me and I, re- <laughs> and I reverse engineered it. But I put him down and was like, oh, stop it, Sam. But here I am with a Charles Felix cutout. So <laughs> shut up, Sam, whatever. Uh, and Frankie de Jong was someone that I was interested as to why. You know what, I didn't actually like, I didn't give that one much, that one that much thought. Like I, I wrote, wrote a, a piece on, on Bleach Report on, on Monday grading the best transfers, the best big transfers we've seen already. And I gave Frankie an A to Barca because it's a great deal. He's an amazing player. So, but I didn't actually spend that much time thinking about it. I don't know what it was, whether it was the, the defenders conversation that sort of got moved on another level a little bit. Potentially, in the, yeah. In the, Having a player like that plays like a controlling midfield role, it's not as rare anymore as it used to be. There seems to have been a, like a, a generation of players brought into that. Marco Verratti's are no longer ridiculously hard to find, so you might have more luck elsewhere with that sort of thing. Yeah. And that his his talent base just isn't quite as rare as maybe someone like Felix is, or certainly someone like Hazard or Mbappe. That's a well, there we are. Sam's top five players he would buy at an auction on a five year contract if previous contracts weren't considered that one's a slight mouthful well that is the main ranking wrapped up we've got roulette and the nonsense rankings coming up after break don't go away welcome back to br football ranks just before we get on to the wheel of doom to bleacher roulette there is a request in fact there's a thank you to foot randy on instagram who was the first person to send in a picture of him buying some br football ranks squad merchandise of yes. the Bleacher Report shop. We know that many of you have bought them. We can see the figures. But uh, we also he's the first person to send in a screenshot. So shouts out, Randy. If you want to buy some Rank Squad merch, go on bleacherreportshop.com and use the code RANKSQUAD for a discount. So it's actually are. decent stuff. It's some pretty nice stuff. There's a nice Rank Squad t-shirt. There's a nice, you know stuff that we wear on a day-to-day basis. It's my wife's so. birthday coming up, and I can tell you what she's <laughs> getting right now. <laughs> presents for your family, presents for your friends, presents for the Rank Squad. Right, Sam, enough of that. Let's get on to the wheel. Which historic footballer wasn't as amazing as most people think they were? I would imagine, like... We were, we're guessing at this point, I'm because gonna, we haven't seen them all. Yeah, you did. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the authority here. Okay. I'm going to say that probably most of them, because there just aren't that many full 90 minutes of Pele around. Like, we don't know. Like, you can watch... You, you know, you can make a, a championship footballer look like Messi on a highlight reel if you really, really want to, if you yeah. try hard enough. And a lot of our knowledge of these players from basically the 80s and before, particularly for us, is going to be based on highlight reels and hype and tales. So I would imagine that Pele is a fairly good shout here, but one that often floats around the office as a, as a bit of a hot take, actually, is Zinedine Zidane. Um, that I think the argument, YouTube player had one good season. The argument here is he had one or two very, very good seasons. Mm. Um, he had he scored an incredible goal in Brilliant a Champions World League Cup. final, yeah. um, and he headbutted someone. 
And no, no, in the 98 World Cup, he was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. and he also headbutted someone. That's more powerful at this point. That was in 2006. Like, it, uh, yeah, it, it adds to the legacy, and it, right. it adds to the story. So I think I'd go Zidane, but I don't really know, because... Uh, well, that's a good... That's <laughs> good. I, I think the, the funny thing about these ones is that Pele was obviously much better than everybody else of his generation, Yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean that that generation were any cop. Like, you know, it, it, they were all playing against a different level of footballer to what we expect now. So you, you're, you're right in that pretty much all of them is the answer, but you shouldn't take it away from Pele that he was so much better than everyone else of his generation or someone like Ferenc Pushkas yeah. or someone who, you know, they, they probably weren't that good, but they were so much better than everybody else that they deserve to be given the credit for how far ahead they were. True. And I think that's maybe the interesting point on it. Sure. So rather than Farmer's League, you'd say Farmer's Decade. Precisely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Farmer's century. Dean, you're the authority. Wenger wasn't as good as you'd think he was. <laughs> he wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> hey, Jose Mourinho, not that good. Not that good. Everyone who thinks that those two are good, you're wrong. I don't think anybody thinks Jose was any good. I know, I'm joking. I'm just picking out some randoms. Um, <sighs> did I take your answer, Pele? You did take mine, yeah. I was going to say Pele because... Say Maradona. I just don't... I just don't haven't seen the proof that Pele was as good as he was. Maradona was actually that good. (laughs) All you can see is YouTube highlight reels and we're we're actually seeing way more of Pele right now than like probably some bloke who lived in England at the time when Pele was playing because there was so little footage of him on TV. So we're seeing more of Pele right now than anyone ever saw in England. I don't really think Pele was overrated. Pele wasn't overrated. He just, maybe the standard of football was nowhere near as good as we think it was. Thank you. There we (laughs) are. Right. Here we go, Dino. Was Pele any good? No. (laughs) (laughs) Which career would you choose? Pedro Rodriguez or Thiago Alcantara? That is sent in by At Class Aficionado. Pedro Pedro or Thiago? Pedro or Thiago. So this is a question of trophies or talent. Well, I, I think it's more than that. I, I think it's, do you take the career that you know you're going to win everything, as in Pedro has pretty much completed football, yeah. in that he has won, I think, maybe every trophy well, he possibly could have won. With the Europa League ticked off. Like, he's... I think every trophy he possibly could have won in the leagues he's played he in, has he has won. literally fulfilled his potential. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> Thiago still has a bit to go, but could go, you know, potentially Could go even go higher further. than Pedro but also could not reach those heights. Exactly. So it's potential or, or kind of guaranteed victory. I know what you're going for. Dean loves trophy. <laughs> Hang on. I, I could, you, you're going for Thiago. Yeah. And we're going for Pedro. We're going for Pedro because I've got a trophy cabinet that needs filling up and Pedro's going to do that for me. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, me too. Obsessed with trophies. Not afraid to say it. So Pedro has won everything. Also, also nice little career path. Also, well. Pedro was like really good. Pedro was excellent. He was exceptional for about a four-year span. Yeah. Exceptional. Admittedly feeding off the space that Messi gave him, being quadruple marked. But a brilliant finisher, a two-footed player, a lot like me. Actually, yeah, Pedro works on many levels. I liked Ped. I, I think Pedro is one of my favourite players ever. Um, and, and I think a player that I really tried to emulate growing up in Mario Garza, you know, just good at finishing and no small. And that was basically all I've got in the tank as well. So if, if you gave me that, I think Pedro is, would be someone I would always choose in these scenarios. But I love Tiago. I know, it's I love, tough, isn't it? I love, love Tiago. The way that he kind of makes space, his career path, all of those things where he just sort of was like, nope. I'm, I'm not quite getting the time I need at Barcelona. I'm actually going to leave, despite the fact he was basically the Barcelona player. Yeah, how was old was he? Like, young. Yeah. Young when he left. He was 20 or 21 or so, wasn't he? Like, that's quite a big... It's a bold big, move. Yeah, really bold. And I just love the way Pepler, he glides he? around. He glides around he the pitch. Pep. 
you know, it's one of those things where for Spain, he's, you know, been such a wonderful footballer for, and they seem to just never be quite, just on the cusp of fulfilling that talent. And I really hope that a couple of, you know, injury free years and, and given the kind of space he needs to develop, I still think he can become one of the best midfielders in the world. And so I think I'll just about go with Thiago. It is a tough call. I, I take the trophies, I take Pedro, but just imagine being as good at football as Thiago is. Just like, I'm not giving the ball away. You can try as hard as you want. It's not happening. He's so silky. I love silky footballers True. and he is pure silk when he pure wanders around silk. the midfield yeah so there we are right one more what is the strangest place you have watched a game of football this seems like a dean question i, I think this is a dean jones special uh moldova 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 yeah. want, is there a story um i've only been there once i was sent to moldova versus england it was um a qualifying game of some sort i can't remember which tournament but it was just a bizarre place. It was really was like going back in time. And you, you came out of the airport and on, they weren't taxis. They were just people <laughs> in old cars just taking people to places. And it was quite intimidating, quite scary. But you just had to get in these cars with people and trust that they were taking you to where you wanted to go. All the cars, all the roads had holes in. You were going down potholes. You would was close to going off the edge of like a cliff or something. Uh, but the good thing about Moldova is there was only one type of English um, kind of food chain, and it was pizza. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. I had pizza for three days straight because the only thing I knew I was definitely ordering. Mm-hmm. Good. But that- yeah, weird place to watch football, by the way, because in the stadium, as a journalist, you didn't actually have a seat. The stadium was tiny. And they didn't have enough seats to go around for the journalists. So, like, half of us literally were just, like, standing at the edge of the pitch watching England win about 5-0 against Moldova. There you go. Does it have to be in the stadium or could no. it be on screen or whatever? I mean, As you like, can go with both, mate. I'm um, okay. in, in this, the, the strangest place I've watched football like, in a stadium is when I went to Sweden. and I went to, a, like, a 30,000 capacity stadium and there were about 2,000 people in it which included about 500 away ultras with flags and megaphones and ladders and stuff. Sounds like the Etihad. And it was, uh, it was just a bit strange because they were trying to generate a hell of a lot of noise and they were obviously trying to show that kind of ultra away spirit. But it was to a very low level of footballer and almost nobody was watching. And it all kind of felt like it was a bit in vain and it was echoing around the stadium. Not actually at a stadium and stretching the use of football a little bit, I actually watched almost an entire NFL game whilst on the toilet because I had food poisoning. Uh, I don't want to hear about that no, one. No, do I. <laughs> that's, that's a terrible story. It's about four hours long, and it kicks off at 1.30 in the morning. Right. Well, that must have been a fun night for everyone yeah. involved, I imagine. That's quite weird, though. I'm going to throw it back to a, a country in, <laughs> in, yeah, in Eastern Europe. I went to Macedonia, or now uh, North Macedonia, I should yep. say, before that name change was enforced last year. And I went to a Nations League qualifier at Philip II Stadium in Skopje between Macedonia and Armenia, in which Henrik Mkhitaryan played. Took the ball from kickoff, played a delightful ball out to the right back who miscontrolled it out of play and you just saw the light go out of Mkhitaryan's eyes and from then on he was completely anonymous. Goran Pandev scored though and uh, Alioski, who plays for Leeds, he scored and it was a wonderful game. In the, the stadium? Macedonian. The stadium was wicked but the problem was they only had the two sides open so the ends were closed and they sort of had this weird chant that went across from left to right but I couldn't understand what anyone was saying <laughs> but it was really really fun I imagine it was just a similar we're the right side of the stand yeah. but in, in obviously the local dialect so it was it was a really really good game but it was a really odd place to be Very and the weird, queues yeah. to get in were unbelievable given that 
the whole stadium was basically empty <laughs> and they were only open like two doors. And so I was like, this is a very odd place. They were trying to get passing trade. Everyone thought there was something really good going on. Yeah. It just didn't work out. No, it was, um, it was really interesting. And this, that stadium's wicked. It held the Super Cup a couple of years back, I remember. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, the stadium's really, really cool. But it was just not full, and it was it was a really really weird game of football. But I really enjoyed myself. So good, I'm pleased to hear that, mate. That was out to Skopje because that was a cool place to visit. Mm. Well, that was a long one. Yeah, have we installed some kind of siren? Or There's is that still? a new siren. That is the nonsense siren. Sam, hit us. This week's nonsense. We are we are ranking Real Madrid's new signings, careers, mm. projection of careers. Uh, rejection of careers, not their careers so far. I'm basically saying, like, this is how you're going to do it, Real Madrid, <laughs> based on their kick-ups uh, during their Bernabeu unveiling. Like so it. as we all know, you are forced, as a footballer, to do kick-ups, mundane kick-ups in front of a, a waiting crowd at the Bernabeu when you are unveiled. It's just a recipe for absolute disaster, because you put, you put a footballer under that much pressure, even if it's a trained skill, a lot of them just bottle it. Like it's been, it's been horrendous. Some of them. So this is a four-part edition, very special. Uh, it would be five, but Edo Militao couldn't be asked to come back from the Copper America to do his kick-ups. So you're not going to be a success, are you? Uh, but in at four is Furlon Mendy. This was a tragic, tragic start. Did you see? Did you see no. what he did? No, you're going to have to explain. Uh, so the camera closes in to start with. So you can't quite see it, but then it immediately zooms out. He does about three and punts it into the air it is really really bad he recovers flicks the ball back up again and does like i think it was hang on i've written 14 on one foot 14 on one foot so that is a clear attempt to try and bring the crowd back on his side you know 14 on one foot which isn't bad but then he punts it at the end again has to jog forward and catch it and just kind of grins at the cameras like yeah that was terrible wasn't it so between that and the fact that he liked a tweet suggesting that Lucas Vazquez should be deported. <laughs> I would say that this is a fairly it's inauspicious a start. start to Furlon Mendy's Real Madrid career. Four out of ten, two seasons in the first team, loaned out to Valencia and then sold off cheap to <laughs> Man United. Excellent. <laughs> in at three, Luka Jovic. This can only be described as a complete and utter cop-out. He did three, caught the ball, and gave the camera a thumbs I saw up. That, yeah. Come on, Luca. You're an absolute killer in the box. You're not phased by the crowd. You're not phased by anything. Your teammates celebrate before you even kiss the ball because they know it's going in. No, but no, but I do think that maybe he was just like, I don't do fancy stuff. Yeah. He's like, what? kick ups. I'm scoring no goals, chance. Mate. He's like, just he's like, give me the ball in box. Yeah. I'm surprised <laughs> he just run run with the ball to the penalty box and just smash one in top pin. Top corner. <laughs> and give everyone a stare. It, I just felt like he could have done a hell of a lot better. The execution was fine understated exemplary but show yeah, some sorry. goddamn ambition <laughs> 5 out of 10 sadly I've been championing Luka, Luka Jovic to Real Madrid for like 6 months it ain't gonna work out <laughs> never mind <laughs> things get better from here Rodrigo uh, he cheated to start with because he didn't. He'll flick, fit in then. <laughs> he didn't flick the ball up to start, which is where the, this is the source of most problems. Actually, flicking the ball up from the ground. This is where most players get it wrong. He took it in his hands and dropped it onto his feet, which is clever, but it, it, it is cheating, right? So you temper the you temper the marks based on that. However, what he did was good. It was completely at ease. Transferred the ball from his left foot to his shoulder to his left foot to his shoulder. It was very, very fluid. I liked Samba. it a lot. Samba vibes. Very Samba vibes. Nothing outrageous, but like very cool. Seven out of ten yeah. would have been eight had you not cheated. Which leads us to number one, Eden Hazard. 
Now, this is a Galactico. <laughs> this is how you do it. He flicks it up from the ground. Good start. Not a cheater. Few standard kick-ups. Two around the worlds. One one way and then back the other way on the same foot. Lost it up. Couple of headers. Catches it on his head. Done. That is a thumbs up to the camera moment. Not what Luka Jovic did. That was ridiculous. It took about 15 seconds in total, but it was no fear. Straight to the point. I'm here. I mean business. I am silky smooth talented, but I'm also here to get it done. I like that. Eden Hazard, you get an, a 9 out of 10 for your kick-ups. You will be a huge success at the Bernabeu. Excellent. Very good. I Very like good. it a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I like it. I think it's fair as well. We've seen... Um, some real, real dampeners at Barcelona down the years. Oh, goodness with Some me. really, really bad kick-up. Dembele was bad. Paulinho was hilariously bad. Yeah. Although Paulinho did turn out to be all right for Barcelona for a bit. So yeah. maybe it's less of a thing there. But I do do believe in your system where yes. you rank people based on how good their kick-ups absolutely. are. It's, it's a good ambition starter. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. That is us all wrapped for this week. And that is all that is left for me to do is to say thank you very much for you for listening and to these two lieutenants, to Dean Jones. Cheers. Sam Ty. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins. Remember to get involved in all things pod using the hashtag BRFootballRanks and go to BleacherReportShop.com and use the code RankSquad and you can buy well cool merch. So get involved with sending in questions for Hot Takes and Roulette. Get involved with the poll which goes up on my Twitter every week. If you haven't already, make sure you downloaded the BR app for the best sports and culture content and more bits from us coming soon on there, especially revolving what Dean said earlier on about deep dish pizza. Rank Squad, thank you for listening. Please keep telling your friends and please keep sharing the podcast. We really do appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Take care now. Bye-bye.